Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. So there is a certain way that I talk to my family at home. And it's a case with everybody in here. There's a certain way that you talk to people uh, the closest to you. There is also a different way that I talk to the dean at the college that I teach at. There's a completely different way that I talk when I'm counseling a couple, especially for the first time if I'm getting to know them. How we talk to people is usually based on who we're talking to. Would you agree with that? All right, so Irving Goffman, the sociologist, called this impression management. He said that we have a front stage face and a backstage face, and how we talk to people has to do with the audience that we are actually engaging with. So I, for one, can admit that there are times I am talking to God at the end of the day, and God gets depleted mat. I feel like I'm supposed to talk to God because that's what Christians do. At least that's what we've been taught. You say like your your nighttime prayers as you lay down. Thank you for this day. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my family, all those kinds of things. But sometimes it's the end of the day. I feel like I can't even go any further, Matt. Sometimes he gets the overwhelmed, frustrated, Matt. I'm sure God gets that side of you as well. Other times he gets the not even paying attention to what I'm saying, Matt. And I know that some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of your prayers, like mine over time, are so redundant. You're so used to saying the same things over and over that you don't even recognize or really realize what you're saying. Some of mine sound like, thank you for my family, direct me, lead me to be the best that I can be, help me to avoid this. And there's not really like a lot of thought that goes into it. It's kind of like my prayer life just gets on autopilot. And I know a lot of you, and you're in the middle of it, almost like in the middle of the night when you're flipping through TV channels and you stop on something, and you're like, why in the world did I even stop on this? I have no interest in this whatsoever. It's kind of that feeling right there. It's the monotony or the the regular behavior that we get into if we're not intentional about the way that we are actually uh, praying. So do you ever find yourself praying and just like the same random words come out of your mouth? So today I really want to focus on how we talk to God and why this matters so much. So our our first core value at Believer's Church is formation or spiritual formation. And this means to become students of Jesus, to be molded in the way of Jesus, not around all of these church traditions or the way that people have been doing things for for the last 100, 150 years, or if you look at the ancient church, the medieval church going back much further. But what is it that Jesus practiced in his ministry toward other people? What were the disciplines that he implemented in his life to make him different from other people? So that's what we talk about with this disciple-teacher relationship 
becoming students of Jesus. So what we do in the spring and the fall is we take four to ten weeks and we talk about a spiritual discipline. Scripture reading, fasting, giving, serving, hospitality, prayer, silence and solitude. All of these different things that we call spiritual disciplines, we take them not for the purpose of information, but for the purpose of application. How is it that I take this practice and build it into my life on a regular basis? So we take four to ten weeks uh, to talk about these things. The goal is to deeply implement this new practice into our lives. I mentioned the first week, but I don't think I've mentioned since then that we also always have a list of recommended readings. I was actually talking to somebody yesterday that was asking me what my favorite book was on the list. So if you go to resources on the website, recommended readings, we have five books on prayer. And in my opinion, out of the three practices that we've done since I've been here, these books are the best. I, I, all five of these books are absolutely wonderful. So you say that you struggle with prayer, you feel like you're praying, but you don't know if you're doing it right, you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and coming back down, you get bored with prayer, you get distracted with prayer. How did they, how did they pray in the Bible? How are moderns praying? What is it supposed to look like? Some really, really helpful resources for you if you want to dig just a little bit further. And a theme that I have mentioned every week is that if we are going to be the church that we are supposed to be, and if our vision is going to come to fruition and our mission to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus, and this is really who we are, we must learn to pray passionately. Now, this is the fourth week that I've said this, but I still think that there are some of you in your prayer life, you've got the driving down the road, God help me to have a good day, help the kids to have a good day. I'm not saying there is anything wrong with those prayers. Those are good prayers. But what about the times that you need to pull away? You need to get on your face before God. You need to make sure that there is no distraction whatsoever. And you really need to get to the prayer within the prayer. Like these new areas that, and ways that you're discovering God. Like this is the area that most people, I would say that even people that do not consider themselves to be Christians, and most people who do not go to church still pray in some way, right? There's still some kind of uh, dialogue or at least maybe just a monologue with them talking to God in, in some way throughout the day. Help me to get the job, help the surgery to go well, help me to get married to this person, help me to, you know, all those kinds of things. I think that prayer is part of most people's lives. But whenever we talk about praying passionately, taking that next level. God, your will be done in everything that I do. In order for what we're doing to come into fruition here, this has to be part of our culture. It has to be part of our DNA. It has to be a part of what we're doing. And you're going to notice if you pray in this way, that these people that you've been praying for in your life, the people that are going to be necessarily drawn in, that need to be drawn in, you're going to start seeing some of those things happen. Prayer changes everything. So our focus is prayer. And today we're in week four of six. We're over halfway there. And this is what we're going to talk about. Prayer should be directional. It should be directional. Last week, we said that prayer should be relational. All right, we need to see God as a heavenly father. This needs to be an 
intimate conversation. What we're talking about today, and this is a continuation of of last week, you're going to see some parallels, is that not only is there someone on the other end, but prayer is about bringing glory to God. Prayer is about bringing heaven to earth. You're not having some simple conversation with someone who is not on the other end. Prayer really does change things, and most importantly, prayer changes you. So the discipline of this prayer life, of praying with your kids, of praying with your spouse, of stopping for just a few minutes on your lunch break and really taking time to engage with God. A lot of people look at the issues they have, the problems they have, the things and the circumstances that are going on in their lives. Our lives improve greatly whenever our prayer life becomes more central to who we are. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go to Psalm 63. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you want to follow on the screen, that's fine too. It's a good way to do it. Psalm chapter 63, and we're going to look at a very, very important psalm. Most of these practices, what we do is we almost always go from the Gospels or at least the New Testament, because again, we're talking about practicing the way of Jesus, not thousands of years before. But this is a really, really important passage. And I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in my darkest moments, when things aren't going well with my job, when I feel like there's some financial decisions that we could have made that would have been a little bit better, whenever I'm in a situation with marriage, with my kids, with a coworker, whatever it looks like, the Psalms are always a place that I go. And you may not have that melancholy personality like the way that I do, but I need to know when people have walked through darkness, what it looked like and the ways that I need to be engaging with God and the ways that I need to be praying. And I feel like the Psalms really gives us that. All right, so Psalm chapter 63, and we're going to read the whole thing. And this is what it says. This is a Psalm of King David. So this is what David is saying. God, my God, it's you. I search for you. My whole being, everything within me, thirst for you. How often can we actually say that in our lives? That's what we're talking about with passionate prayer. Not God help me get the job. God help this situation to work itself out. But the glory of God, everything that I am at this point, because I recognize that I have nothing without you. Everything within me thirsts for you. My body desires you in a dry and tired land, no water anywhere. Yes, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've seen your power and glory. My lips praise you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I'm alive. I will lift up my hands in your name. I am fully satisfied as with a rich dinner. How many times can we look at our lives and say, I'm not just content. I'm not just happy. I don't have some level of joy. And often we're saying a lot less than that, but I am fully satisfied. My cup is running over as with a rich dinner. My mouth speaks praise with joy on my lips. Whenever I ponder you on my bed, this, whenever, whenever he's praying, whenever I meditate on you in the middle of the night, because you've been a help to me. This is something that David recognizes. This is something that David appreciates. In my darkest moments, in my difficult moments, I've not started scrolling on my phone. 
I've not turned something on. I've went to you. I've went to your word. I've went to the ancient teachings and they fill me to the brim in every possible way because you've been a help to me. And I shout for joy in the protection of your wings. My whole being clings to you. Your strong hand upholds me. But what about those people who want to destroy me? Let them go into the bowels of the earth. Let their blood flow by the sword. Let them be food for the wild jackals. But the king should rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by God should give him praise when the mouths of liars are shut for good. Now, it seems like David is writing this. When you see this praise and all of this honor and all of these wonderful things, it seems that he is writing this in this amazing time in his life when things are going well. Maybe he's just been crowned king. All right, that would be a wonderful experience to have. Maybe that's just happened. Maybe he's holding his newborn son or daughter. That would be a moment to journal or write about why you're really happy. Maybe he's in a situation in which there's just been this huge military conquest and everything is wonderful. You can imagine all of these things in his life. He's, he's a man after God's own heart. Everything's good. He must not have the everyday problems that we have. David has surely never struggled with depression or anxiety. He's never really felt the pressure of his job. If he's a man after God's own heart, his children and their lives and his children's children and all these generations, they must look perfect because of the life that he's lived. What if I told you none of the above? that none of this, whenever he is rejoicing, whenever he is able to lift up the glory of God, that he is actually in one of the most difficult moments in his life. And I'm gonna tell you something. Some of you that are in here right now or watching online, you're going through it. There are some difficulties with your job, with your marriage, with your friendships. You have this unexplainable anxiety or depression that you feel like you can't even talk to other people about. Maybe it's difficult to even leave home. The thought of just, just putting one foot in front of the other is something that feels absolutely impossible. Please understand this today. You are not alone. And as David is going through this moment, he is going through something, as you say, things are really hard right now that you will never go through. And if you ever go through this, I would be very, very surprised and I would love to be able to hear your story so that you could share your story on this stage when you're on the other side. David is actually fleeing in this moment from his son, Absalom. David is in danger of death at the hands of his own son. He is in danger of death at the hands of his own son. Long story, very long story short. David's son, Amnon, has raped his sister, Tamar. Both David's children. Absalom expects justice. We see no justice recorded, and the relationship is bad. 
from there. So you think this is a rejoicing moment for David? You think this is a situation for David where he's just been crowned king? He's, he's maybe just received this amazing pay raise. He's got all these things going on. All of his kids have finally graduated college. All, you know, all of these things. I can just thank you, God, for all these wonderful things that you are doing. And he is in a moment. Can you imagine the anxiety? Can you imagine the political pressure that he feels? You see, this is a situation that few people ever go through in their lives. And this is exactly where David is. Now, when I think about my life and one of my kids abusing another one of my kids, I, I mean, I, I, I can't even, and this is real life stuff. This is stuff that happens to people. But I can't even fathom on a personal level, what it's like to walk through what he's walking through in this moment. But you see, David understands something that is critical for us to understand today. And we talked about this a little bit last week. In his darkest moments, in his most difficult times, in those situations in your life when you say, I don't exactly know what to do next, when he prays, he understands that someone is, in fact, on the other side. That it is not a monologue. That it is a dialogue. That every time you go to God with a desperate need, you are accessing heaven. That in those moments, heaven is coming to earth for you. And when you feel that there is nothing that I can do, my marriage is over. My career is finished. My kids hate me. I don't know what I'm going to do. And you come to God in those desperate moments. He is saying, where have you been? I've been waiting. I'm here in this moment. The anxiety, the fear. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It just overtakes your body in a split second and you don't know what you're going to do next. But you see, as we say in the South, this was not David's first rodeo. This was not the first time he had been through difficulty. This was not the first time that he had ever felt pressure, but he sees God come through over and over and over and over again. And I'm going to make you a promise today that if you will buckle in and you will commit to this level of prayer and you will turn the crap off the TV and you will stop pouring your text messages into toxic relationships by people that have been through the same things telling you to just hate him, hate her, hate them, and you pour yourself in to a relentless, passionate life of prayer, not only will your situation be transformed, but more importantly, you will be transformed in the process. And the way that you see your social world, and the way that you see your marriage, and your children, and your job, and your, your, your chronic health condition, or whatever it is, completely changes. It's like the answers are right 
here. Everything that we need, and we have example of after example after example of this being done the right way. Yet we just go back to culture for answers. Comparing our lives to people on Instagram. Comparing our stories to people that we know in other places instead of going directly to God for the root of our story. So how is it that we make our prayers directional? How is it that we truly bring the glory of God to earth? And I really believe literally what I'm saying, that whenever you pray, and especially when you're not doing those monotonous, and we all do them, okay, the, the thank you for this day, thank you for my home, I feel truly blessed, this is wonderful. I'm not saying that those prayers are not important. But I'm saying that when you pour your heart out with tears, not knowing what to do and not understanding what's next, there is something very special and powerful and significant about what God is going to do. And I'm telling you this from deep personal experience with this. So how do we go about making our prayers intentional and directional? The first is this, prayer should be about our desire for God. We've already talked in week one about that our prayer should be for his will to be done. Our prayers and our prayer life should be about our desire for God. Not help me with this, help me with that, what am I supposed to do? But it should be, how do I know you more? Because as you get to know God more, as you spend more time in the intimacy of that relationship, that becomes the only thing that matters. So a question that I have for you, do you have an actual desire for God? Not do you have a desire for your, your job or your role or your responsibility at the church. Not do you have a desire to hear good worship or, or good preaching or whatever it might be. Do you actually in your private space have a desire for God? And what I find with just a little bit of age and being around more church people, which is some of the craziest group of people I've ever been around in my life, no offense, because I can put myself in that category as well, is that we really desire what God can do for us, but we don't really desire God. We desire what God can bring us. We desire for the pain to go away, but we don't desire God. And if we don't desire God, nothing in this church changes. Verses one and two, this is what David says. Just listen to the passion. God, my God, it's you. I search for you. My whole being, everything that I am thirsts for you. My body desires you in a dry and tired land. No water anywhere. He's saying there's nothing to help me around me. Like I see my physical circumstances. You see, the spiritual realm is like this whole other thing. It's this faith thing. But we know that there are other things in life that we can grab a hold of that at least provide temporary relief for our problems. He's saying that I see none of that, no water anywhere. Yes, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've seen your power. I've seen your glory. He is saying, this is something that I have witnessed firsthand. 
You notice the difference in the way he's praying? David is not giving a laundry list to God. Do this, do that. Take care of this area of my life. Make sure you do this. I need this. I need that. If my day is going to be the way it needs to be, if I'm going to be prepared for this presentation the way that I need to, if I'm going forward with this, with this business uh, decision, if whatever it is, just please make sure that that happens. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm desperate and I need you. It's a desire in his soul that impacts every area of his being. He's saying there is no substitute. He's saying that I've went these other places. And some of you, you've went these other places. You continue to go these other places. And he says, I need you. And whenever you learn this and you're desperate enough, some of you right now, they're in this, you, you are desperate. I've talked to a few of you lately. You are desperate. And when you're desperate, and when you're hurting, you are in the best possible place that you could ever be. You see, some of you just think you're desperate. You still got a, a few floors to go before rock bottom really takes effect. You still got a little ways to go, but some of you that are in here right now, it's God or bust. You're just in a place where nothing else is going to satisfy, and this is exactly where he is. And this is a step, I'm telling you guys, as a church, we've noticed some growth, some baptisms, some salvations, some amazing things going on. But listen, please hear me. We have not even scratched the surface of what God wants to do. And the reason for that is that some of you are still clutching so tightly to who you are and what you have that you just got to let go. Because there are amazing things that God wants to do here. Prayer is about bringing glory to God. David recognizes that he goes into prayer, that it's about who he's praying to and not about him. But also notice that prayer should be about the character of God. And knowing about the character of God means that we have an understanding of what the character of God actually looks like. So this is what it says in the scripture, verses three and five. My lips praise you because your faithful love is better than life itself. Think about that statement. God's faithful love, God's resilience in your sin, God's patience with the fact that you have held on to certain things for so long. David understanding, as a human, I mess up. I make mistakes. But your faithful love is consistent morning, noon, and night all throughout my life. You are still faithful to me and any kind of life that I could build apart from that just isn't worth it. It means absolutely nothing. I am fully satisfied as with a rich dinner. My mouth speaks praise with joy on my lips. Can you, can you fathom this? And this may be, hopefully there aren't too many small kids in here. Can you fathom this? One of your sons 
is chasing you down because another son has raped your daughter. I am fully satisfied. It is your joy that is on my lips. How is that even possible? What level is that? It's an expectation. And it's an understanding that God is going to come through again and again and again. And we don't know internally. We just don't. The kind of suffering that David went through whenever he heard this news. The kind of issues that he has with his son that committed these horrible acts. Do you really believe this faithful love is better than life itself? This is another leap into spiritual maturity. It's when through our prayers, we start to recite the characteristics of God. I wonder how often some of you do that. One of the greatest things about our community group on Sunday nights that we're going through right now, and several people that are in here right now are in my group, and I had not expected to be able to pull this away, but as we talk about um, Nehemiah and Moses and Abraham, some of the things that we're seeing is that they are constantly holding God to his promises, and that's an incredible thing. That's a characteristic of God, that he is faithful, that you can trust him, that he is all-loving, that he is all-knowing, that he is patient. And when you understand these things and you go through your prayer life and you know that you can hold God to these things, you grow in in an amazing way. Because all of a sudden, we're not praying about the exams. We're not praying about the surgeries. Uh, We're not praying about Mr. Right. We're not praying that we strike the fortune. We're not uh, praying about the promotion. We are praying about the importance of being with God and being in God's presence. And this is a thing that we miss so often. Uh, Also mention that prayer should draw us near to God. If prayer is directional, what it should always do is draw us near to God. So what if your prayer life is not about, as we've talked about for four weeks, about getting what you want, about everything working out with the anticipation that it's going to work out this way, with the expectation that it's supposed to work out this way, but instead, it's about getting to know God better. People have all these questions, and they've asked all these questions to me over time about prayer. Well, if God already knows the outcome of a situation, if God already knows what's going to happen, why do I even pray about it to begin with? It's very simple. It's not about the outcome. Prayer is about you growing in a relationship with God, period. That's what prayer is about. Now, when we pray, do outcomes change off? Yeah, they do. We see God answer prayers all the time. But the content of your prayer life is about growing closer in this relationship with God. So prayer should draw us near to God. This is what verse 7 and 8 say. You've been a help to me. And a shout for you've been a help to me, and I shout for joy in the protection of your wings. Again, considering what he's going through in this moment, my whole being clings to you. Your strong hand is what upholds me. When we go to God, we must go believing. He will carry us through. 
You see, David is doing a few things right here with this prayer. And this is really about holding on to those characteristics. Number one, he is delighting in assurance. The only reason that he's able to be happy is the fact that he is delighting in the reality that he has seen God work over and over and over and over again. And I know I bring up 2019 a lot and the difficulty that we went through and trying to get back to Tennessee and everything that happened and all of those struggles. But at this point in my life, with every single thing that I face, I can say God came through. I saw God work in a miraculous way. It was something that I never could have understood. Nothing could have ever worked out in that way. So guess what? He's going to do it again. And he's going to do it again. And he's going to do it again. And I may not like the outcome of certain situations, but there is no question that he is working for my good. And there is no question that he is going to draw me over and over and over again, closer to him. So the husband that I am, the brother that I am, the dad that I am, the pastor that I am, is all about this drawing in closer to him. I'm just going to tell you something. I'm to the point where I do not care about outcomes. I do not. Um, And I say that with if someone has a chronic illness, I want that person to get better. That is the desire of my heart, and that's why I would pray in that direction. I would like for us to be able to continue to live in the home or if it's another home that we want to buy in the room, I would like for that to work out. I would like to be in this church for the rest of my life, be at this church. There are things that I can tell you that I pray about that I want to happen. But more than that, I can promise you as a fallen, broken human being that knows who I am apart from God, the most important thing to me is being stripped away to be closer to Christ. I've seen the other side. I've seen the ugly. See, there's only a handful of people in this room right now, and it's probably her, her, and him over there on that side that have seen the ugly in me. Well, maybe if I look around closer, I'll see a few more. But I am telling you that I am absolutely hopeless with this situation. And this is what David comes to Jesus with, or comes to God with, is this hopelessness that he is experiencing in this moment. But he's also expressing confidence in what he's already experienced. He's expressing confidence in what he already experienced. He knows that God is going to work, and he also knows that the effort to pray carries the certainty of bringing him closer to God. So can you see how directional prayer is different? David is not speaking to an imaginary friend. A lot of my atheist and agnostic friends They will say, well, you know what? I even think that prayer can be healthy for a person because it's kind of like this self-therapy, but you're really speaking to like an imaginary friend. You understand that, right? And I'm like, I hate to tell you, but I am not speaking to an imaginary friend because what I am speaking to has completely transformed literally everything that I'm around. Everything. And, you know, I get to a point in my life where I think there's this, coincidence is a real thing. You know, maybe the stars aligning to some degree is a real thing. But what I've seen and what my family has experienced and what some of you have experienced in your life, there is no possible explanation for how God has worked. So I'm going to pull up some prayers. If you guys will pull up those good ground prayers, and this is something that we started with this year. And something with our, with our vision series that we're praying for our church. And maybe if you're new, this is something that will be helpful for you. 
But one thing that we are praying for is a movement of the Holy Spirit in our church. And we've seen a lot of great things, but when I'm talking about a movement, I'm talking about Pentecost. I'm talking about the roof coming off of this place, hearts transformed in this moment. And until some people get real about repentance, get real about where they are, I don't think that's going to happen. And that's why prayer is so important in this moment, but also a heart for multiplication. And what we mean about multiplication is sending other people out to do gospel work. Uh, For the sending and development of our first campus pastor, uh, wherever this church may be, whoever may be on this launch team, these are things that we are praying about in our church. But also for God to reveal our first sending location. Where is it that we're supposed to be next? Is it Elizabethan? Are we supposed to plant in Kingsport? Are we supposed to plant in Bluff City? Are we supposed to plant somewhere else in Johnson City, Jonesboro? Where is this supposed to be? So one thing that I want to challenge you guys with today as far as passionate prayer and directional prayer and a prayer of expectation and knowing that God is going to do what God said he would do. All of those elements right there is that this is a very, very good place to start. It's a good place to start believing and trusting that he will do what he said he would do. Pray these prayers and it will move you into a deeper relationship with him. Now, I've got a very honest confession uh, to make to you guys today, and it's not something that I'm very proud of. I know that 99% of the room is going to dis- is going to agree. I have a very hard time talking to telemarketers. I'm going somewhere with this. And I feel like I can say that because I worked at call centers for over five years, all right? And I've been on both sides of the annoyance. But a lot of times whenever I was in college and I don't know what it is about my cell phone number or how many stupid things I sign up for or how often I give my email and phone number or what it is, but I feel like I get a zillion calls, mainly about Medicare, but I get a zillion calls every single day. Some of you approach prayer like you're talking to a telemarketer. You do. It's like something that you don't even want to do. You feel something kind of tied to who you are as a Christian. So it's like you feel like I'm supposed to do this, but it's like really, really short. It's kind of like you can't wait to get God off the phone. And, you know, if he if, if, if you try to get him off the phone twice and he refuses, you hang up on him. I don't know what it is about the two. You know, you, some of you are like, you're a lot more graceful than me. I just hang up. But no, I try to give him a chance for just a second. I'm like, no, no, Bill, you don't understand. And Bill's just not getting that he's got a script he's reading. I get it. He's got to read it verbatim. It's just the way that it is. But that's the way that a lot of people actually approach God. Or sometimes you're, you're guilty of uh, talking to God like he's a debt collector or a census person or the IRS. You, you dread it. It's like to even go to God in prayer is something that you, you're just like, I'm not going to do that. Now, what about this? And I feel like I can say this because my mother-in-law is not here today. She usually is. Some of you talk to God like it's your mother-in-law. And I've got a very good relationship with my mother-in-law. And that's true. So I have to say that. Some of you talk to God like this. You don't want to talk to talk to him. But you feel like if you don't, you're going to rock the boat. That's kind of a mother-in-law relationship for some people. All right. You, you have to talk to him because you're a Christian. And you know that's part of who you are and part of your responsibility. But if you had your say-so in it, these kinds of conversations would probably never happen. 
Now let me share this with you. My grandfather passed away a few years ago. And I did his funeral on my birthday. And I would give anything to have one more conversation with him. And I know for some of you, you have relationships like that in your life. It could have been your child. It could have been a close friend. It could be a parent, a grandparent, maybe your spouse, an ex, somebody like that. And you're thinking, I would give anything. If I could just sit down at the table, talk about, argue politics with him one more time. Or let him tell me all of my decision-making is horrible one more time. I feel a little bit of urgency with that. And if I knew I had the opportunity to do that, I would run out this door right now, forget about this sermon, and have that conversation. God sent His Son to die for your sins. Some of you in here, and I don't know how many, You are free from the power of death. Your life is secured in the blood of Jesus. Secured. And for some of you, that only crosses your mind on Easter. And then you're more preoccupied with what you're going to wear. It should break our hearts and burden us toward prayer every single day that we don't have to be VIP. We don't have to have a special pass. We're not going to be on a waiting list in this very moment at this altar today. You have literal direct access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I don't understand for the life of me how that doesn't move people who call themselves Christians. I don't don't get that. I have a very, very hard time understanding that. This God that embraces you, this God that loves you, this God that calls you son or daughter. So I'm going to leave you with this today as far as application. And I believe we have to be in a place for for some of you maybe where we have to start being able to pray this way. Desire God. Draw near to God. And center all of this on the character of God. Well, maybe God doesn't love me because I've made all these mistakes and cheated on my husband in the past. Um, I have these addiction issues that I can't seem to overcome. I'm I'm, I'm struggling with these kinds of thoughts. I've said over and over, God, I'm going to come to you when all of a sudden I'm failing again. And there are all these issues. Desire God more than you do the next drink. More than you do Episode four of of, of whatever you're watching. Desire God. 
Draw near to God. And what does the scripture tell us? He will draw near to you. And center all of this around the character of God. You'll bow your head and close your eyes. My, my prayer is today, as, as some of you in here are, are greatly struggling, as some of you here are in difficult moments, uh, that we learn to pray passionately. That God works in your heart and in your life today. Maybe your, your first time here. You're visiting from somewhere else or, or maybe you're not in a relationship with God and you want to know more about what that looks like. I'm just trying to convince you that there's an answer. And I don't care what it looks like. Mental health issues, family problems, job problems, never feeling like you're good enough, never feeling like you could be spiritual enough, grief, all of these other things that are going on. What I'm asking you to do today is to pour this out to the Father. And then, even though you may not emotionally feel wonderful, take Him at His word. Take Him at His word. God is not a liar. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart this very moment because some of you, you're carrying so much weight based on what other people have told you are. You are Based on internal struggles that maybe you've not shared with anyone. And I'm telling you right now that until we care about these things and until we learn to passionately pray for the Spirit of God to move. We are another contemporary church on another corner in another town. May the Spirit of God fall upon this place this morning. Now, as I invite you guys to come forward to pray, I know that there's a baptismal font in the, in the way. Move past it if you need to. There's plenty of room at the altar if you need to come forward and lay these things at the feet of Jesus. There'll be someone to pray with you. You can pray alone. If you have questions about accepting Jesus for the first time, I'll be down here if you want to talk. Father, we come to you this morning, God, and I pray that you open our hearts. Father, the, the tension that we feel right now, God, I pray that we are able on this very day to release that. I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit moves in this place in a way like we have never experienced before and that it's all in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that people who are here right now with a broken heart are able to leave healed. I pray, God, that those who are here right now that have confusion, uncertainty, doubts, they can leave, Father, at the very least knowing that you love them and knowing that you hear them and knowing that in the middle of their mess, in the middle of their darkness, in the middle of their struggle, as the psalmist tells us, you are an ever-present help. Father, help us to leave here, as David said, fully satisfied. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. 
Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.